Welcome to another edition of Michael L. Craver Presents, available on so many platforms now. Hope you're having a beautiful week, getting off to the start of my youngest son's eighth birthday, Mr. J-Man, Jonathan, celebrating some new beginnings myself, uh, Verbal, V-U-R-B-L, new platform, decided to approach me and asked to carry the podcast, so I believe that covers... Uh, more than a dozen places that you can go listen to Michael L. Craver Presents. There's iTunes and iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, Podbean, Chartable, TuneIn, Listen Notes, Verbal, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Deezer. Hopefully I'm not leaving anybody out out there. <laughs> if you have a different platform it comes up, you're welcome to shoot me an email or... Uh, Hit me up and and let me know. There's uh, so many places that um, have apps for listening, so I encourage you to listen in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Wonderful time to be listening to these kind of shows while you're working from home. Leave it on in the background while you're hitting the gym. All of these wonderful ideas people share with one another, and like I I simply like to provide questions, and you're welcome to find your answers. Today's topic, we were talking about um, many separate things this week, and enabling was a word that came across my radar. Speaking of the many opportunities people have to get better information, where are you getting your information? How are you getting your information? I'll dive right in and tell you, look, enabling is something that is used a lot in a negative connotation for TV shows like Intervention, enabling is the device that allows people to wreck their lives. However, many of the things I'm getting ready to cover right here, you may look at as fruitful, and you may may look at as very um, detrimental to the way of life around you. For instance, first thing on the list, extending a line of credit. That creates a safety net around people. It gives them a little bit of flex. Now you're enabling them to... Well, is it a secure line of credit? Or are you giving them a bogus loan like so many people did with Freddie, uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and all the, the housing crisis that we went through before, right? That was enabling people in a very unqualified sort of way. So... Uh, it could be that you're loaning people money. They don't have any business getting a loan. They can't pay you back. Perhaps you're buying something for a loved one that's it's a bad idea. Perhaps you're bailing them out, as we've seen all around us. And yet we can't afford to be doing that for ourselves or for the discipline that we're taking away from those people. It's part of the problem. You're enabling them to have this safety net that involves less discipline. It involves less accountability. They can go back and be enabled once again. 
granting free money without debt. And that's we've done a lot of that with the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, if you've been paying attention to the coronavirus. There's a lot of this that goes on with research and other endeavors in the world. People go and they seek out a grant. Interesting way of doing things. There's other things that are tax-free, you don't have to be paid back, uh, could fall under an umbrella that you could discuss if you said, I run a charitable organization. You're not on the hook for the same taxes to run your organization as someone else. Now, you could be an officer in that same corporation, organization. Charitable things still pay people to be working in that line of work. Just like if you were giving money to religion, superstition, whatever your words may be. Creating this grant money that doesn't have any free enterprise attached to it is an interesting philanthropic sort of thing, right? The philanthropy behind it could be goodwill. We want to develop research that goes into foods and medicine and so forth. But you're enabling the human population to live longer on a wider scale. And when you're on a planet with a fixed number of resources, there's only so much land... So much we can grow food, so much acreage and habitat for the animals to live in. We can only deal with so much pollution before it comes toxic. Oh, you push the bats way back in the caves and the woods and and these taboo people who got nothing better to do than make TikToks and go out and try to eat some bats develop this problem with a coronavirus that then... mm, mm, mm. These problems that we bring deep out of the jungle and put them right on our kitchen table. Imagine that. Maybe we shouldn't have enabled them to be able to do such things. There were natural sort of things that had happened through the course of evolution. Right? Because we need to be able to protect ourselves and clothe ourselves and bear the weather and all that stuff. Once you have a greater influence on the environment, you can become... Very reckless in those decisions. Look at the children of, let's say, the stereotypical, spoiled, rich kid. They gave him a car. He doesn't know what it means to earn it. Okay. Maybe they just gave him the gift of tutoring, college, enough knowledge to to be a little dangerous. I'm giving him the tools to do the damage. Mm. Mm. It happens. There's an old analogy Lewis Black used in, I believe it's on his End of the Universe album. Anyway, Lewis Black is, I'll insert the clip here. People have asked um, and wonder how it could come to pass that business in this country could get completely out of control. And it's, uh, it's pretty understandable now. Everybody knows what the truth of the situation is now because it's obvious. And that is the fact is, is that business and government have been in bed together our whole lives. And the difference is, is they used to keep it hidden. They used to be fucking each other, but we didn't know about it. It's like when you're at a hotel and you know somebody's fucking somewhere, but you don't know where. (laughs) Somebody's fucking. I know somebody's fucking. Now they do it right in front of us. They have no guilt whatsoever. They're just like two big dogs that are stuck together and they can't separate. Even a glass of water won't stop them. They're out of control. But that's, that's just the way it is. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. 
Okay, it doesn't matter. Both parties are up to their neck in this. It's unbelievable. You can take any political leader you want. Take uh, Vice President Cheney, when and if you can uh, fucking find him. <laughs> he was completely gone. Then we went to war in Iraq, and he shows up on Sunday. We're going to go to war in Iraq, ha huh? And then he ran away again. <laughs> I don't even think it's Dick Cheney anymore. I think he looks suspiciously like my old shop teacher. <laughs> Dick Cheney works for the federal government his, most of his life, and he was a public servant, and that's to his credit. And then, as many public servants do, he went to work in the private sector. He's hired by Halliburton, an international oil company that hires him to be the CEO. It's a company, when Dick Cheney ran it, did business in the 90s with Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Someone that I've been told by my government was evil. <laughs> and they made a ton of money there. And because they made a ton of money, when Dick Cheney was asked by George Bush to run with him, when he left the company to do that, the company gave him $31 million to thank him, because that's what companies do. And so he took the money, and he ran to be the vice president, and he won. And at that point, I said, uh, Vice President Cheney, I think you should return the money. And he said, uh, Lewis, I think you should go fuck yourself. <laughs> And he certainly had the, the right to say that because uh, he doesn't have to return the money because there's no law in place because we're fucking stupid. <laughs> and we are. There are people who argue with me about this and they're wrong. <laughs> I usually see two sides to any question and this time, no. <laughs> I don't because I think that uh, we have got to rethink it and we, and we don't think about it very clearly and neither do the people who lead us. We've elected you to be the vice president of this country. And by electing you to be the vice president, we've honored you in a way that is more important than money. That's why you don't get to keep the money, fuck nut. Because we have said to you that we believe you are so good that you should be our leader and our role model. And if you're a really good role model, you should give the fucking money back. Because if you're the vice president, you don't have to worry for the rest of your life. And it may not be $31 million worth of no worries, but there ain't a moment in your life that you're ever going to want. You never read, he was the vice president, but now he's a heroin addict. <laughs> he can walk into any bar in Minneapolis and the bartender go, fuck, it's the vice president, somebody get him a margarita. The reason you don't give him the money is because Vice President Cheney is in charge of determining what our energy policy is going to be. And he's doing it with $31 million of oil company money in his pocket. Is anybody fucking home? <laughs> So that's the clip where Lewis Black is detailing how you know, people are tired from having to go look for the evidence. Now, you know, you couldn't get as mad about it in the old days because you had to go dig it up and you were, it was exhausting. Now, people just commit fraud and, and all that stuff right out in front of you. And 
<laughs> I mean, think about that. Right in front of you, they're just doing these dastardly things. And I don't know what you're supposed to think in terms of your community when you do that that kind of crap. Here's the kid, and oh, he can do no wrong. We're not going to oh, slap him on the wrist. He gets no punishment. You're enabling him to do more, to do worse. You're giving him a tolerance, a taste for doing an ugly thing and being able to continue to do ugly things because he now thinks he can tolerate it and he can survive the next wave. Hmm. It makes up for a lack of practical skills. Yes, I, I, my third point, I believe that's very valid. Because as you enable people to shortcut things, and let's go back to the school system. You lower the passing grade to it, increase a 10-point scale for each letter. So you lower the passing grade. Passing is now above 60. Used to be 71, right? Now someone with a lower score can pass. Hmm. So what does that mean for the person who is diagnosing you and operating in the ER and running the mechanic shop and fixing your car, fixing your food or otherwise? They're now part of an educational system that is far less disciplined. Are they lacking practical skills? Of course they're lacking practical skills. We didn't drop the grade point scale just to make it seem like A's are more prestigious or because everybody was already making a 99, why not catch that last kid at the 61 and bring him up with the class? This is done because an overwhelming amount of people were falling behind and we gave them this handout, this stimulus in terms of a grading scale, that gave them this stimulus to be able to pass them by and boost them up. It's the same thing that you do with housing and urban de- housing and urban de- development is called HUD, and those of you who know about you know the housing allocations and the other things that have to do with FNS is your your food nutrition stamps and your food stamps and EBT cards and so forth. Right, these things are like welfare, a tool for people who have paid in to Social Security. They have paid in on their taxes, and they can submit a form to be eligible to get back some of their benefits. It's much the same way that you may buy car insurance, and then you turn in a claim. You have life insurance. You die, and they turn it in, and they cash out your claim. That is how it is designed. It's like with a credit card company. They're going to extend you credit, and you're going to pay it back. So the first thing I covered in this podcast, they extend you a line of credit, you pay in on your credit, they give you you know, other credit in return. It may be reduced credit because you're a liability. It may be no credit, and they cancel your card. It may be great at credit because now you've increased your resources and your practical means to be able to say, hey, look, I'm making more money. You should extend me more credit, and I'll play this game with you where... You'll get credit card fees. I'll use your credit card. I will be a wonderful tool for your business. Other people are not going to be such a great tool. They'll default on their credit cards. They'll declare bankruptcy. They'll do ugly things. Go to the hospital. They won't pay the bill. Now your bill is higher because somebody else didn't pay the bill. They run in the Walmart. They steal an item. They run out the door. Now you pay more to cover that loss. 
These are very simple things we all understand. We enable them by doing things as a society that tolerate those behaviors. And we pay more because we tolerate those behaviors. If we banished, outlawed, decided to take things into our own hands, per se. I mean, you could do that at the ballot box. You don't have to do it by caning the guy. I mean, you could. You could be waiting outside the door and kneecap him. Jeff Galuli. Anybody know that name? He's the guy who kneecapped Nancy Kerrigan back there. He's famous for the Tanya Harding scandal. Waiting at the door. Here comes the guy running out of the Walmart. Oh, got the new action figure. Wham! Right in the kneecap. Well, he's going to have a hard time running out of there again. Now, are you enabling him? Actually, you're disabling him. (laughs) That's the opposite of enabling. You're disabling him, which is much like cutting the credit card off or denying someone a grant. Mm -hmm. By having an educational system that affords you a public education, you furnish them books and resources, and they come to class, and they do their homework, they take the test, and you grade them, you are not disabling them. That is fair opportunity. Here is my next thing. Creating a culture of cheap items where nothing requires accelerated levels of work. Everything can be done with that bargain mindset. And it encompasses some other things. that I'm going to read my next few points. Used items are passed around, cheapening the commitment. All right, and their coping mechanisms for poor choices. We've got rehabilitation and medical science. That's gonna it's gonna branch into the third thing here. So you create this culture of cheap items because you have discount stores, you have the Dollar Tree, the Family Dollar, the Dollar General. You may have some other places in your town. Here they have Didi's discounts and Ross discount for less and Marshalls and TJ Maxx and many of these companies have the same gift cards because for whatever reason, they operate with different names and um, divide and conquer, 40 thieves, I don't know. But when you have these cheap items, you do not have to struggle. You don't have to save. You don't have to have discipline to go out and have a cheaper version of the same thing that somebody else has. However, there are many consequences to this. This is a complex subject. So I'm going to wrap it up real small like this. Cheaper items are not higher quality. They require less work to get them. They require less commitment to them. They are not something you value as much or treasure as much. They take ugly resources. They're made of higher on average. These things are made of items that are much more toxic to the environment because they're so disposable, because they're so expendable, they end up in the landfill faster and they're they're there, ruining your world. These are not items that you struggle hard or you did anything to buy that you have to quality shop around, and then they become part of your house permanently. They become an heirloom to somebody else. These are not items that you treasure and fight for. They're nonsense items. They're not good quality. And now you have garbage coming in. Right? You know the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Surround yourself with these these cheap, these enabling items to have people with no discipline, with little education, with a world of convenience. 
I don't know where you expect these wonderful, broad ideas to come from. You go out, you try to have these complex, these asinine, skeptical arguments with people, as if you know what great information is. And yet you're surrounded by this very ugly level of quality in your life. What have you ever done? I mean, I went to college and I... What's on your resume? What have you worked hard to achieve? What are you doing with your hobbies? What do you do your shopping? What companies are you giving your money to? Your life's work is... We live in a free enterprise system. Your life's work is, by and large, measured in your ability to make money, do good with money, support yourself and other people with money, right? Requires work, requires discipline to have more of it. Unless you're taking shortcuts and you're enabled. And then it would be disingenuous. So you put all of this work into getting money. I work hard. I work 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. And then you run to grab cheap items from places who employ people with lower practical skills, a lack of education, and you put the people who have better qualifications and make a more qualified, a higher quality product of better ingredients, of better materials. You put them out of business to increasingly risk the world's economy and the fabric of your society. If you, <laughs> you're cannibalizing your own community, whether you're eating your neighbor or not, you might as well be because you're cutting the legs of everybody else out from under you. You're spending your money that goes up and away from your community. It's made of bullshit ingredients. It's made of bullshit materials that are not in your community. They're shipped in from outside of your community. And now your money and the resources of your community are gone. And the only thing you bring into your community is this cheap bunch of bullshit that you go throw in the landfill later, that you use in a cheap way, and it does not enhance your life in the quality way. Because you get what you pay for. And that's very, very true. If you have an argument against that, you just need to educate yourself a little farther. You know enough to think that you know. You just don't know enough to know that you're wrong. And that's what I'm talking about with these other items I mentioned here. Used items are passed around. They're cheap in the commitment. They do. Oh, it's cheap. Just throw it away. It's cheap. We'll eat half of it and throw it away. It's cheap. We'll give it away. Oh, you know, I shouldn't have bought this, but I'm just going to resell it. I'll take it to a consignment shop. I'll do... Think of everything the way that you have to think of making any major purchase with your car, your home, your insurance. Otherwise... This idea that people just collect things and think that they're, and this is the idea too, that they will then sell them to the next person at the same full value that they bought it. Don't want to lose out. Guess what? If you left it on the shelf, you'd still have that money to begin with. If you left it in the bank, you might have some interest. And if you put it into something else like your retirement, you'd be gaining even more on it. You've cheapened the commitment to all of these things by the level of quality that's involved. You didn't qualify these items with a higher level of... Let's say disciplined thinking is, is just outside of your box. Oh, what's the difference between the generic cereal 
and the name brand cereal. Well, they're people who've paid people with benefits, and they've got shareholders, and they're part of your economy and your world, and they probably are behind a town somewhere. Don't be wrong, because they manufacture the stuff that comes down, and it's the seconds that they relabel and call the generic cereal. Same company. However, the more that you make the choice to go cheaper, they have to do things to compete in a, in a marketplace of people who just demand to have stuff for free, which means they have to take it out of their workforce because they have a cost of doing business, which doesn't reduce just because you're willing to pay less. So they're going to lose out. Or they take it from, they take it from the workers. Now you just, what do you do? You hire staffing people, you hire third-party people. You don't have to pay them benefits. You pay the agency a finding fee plus the hourly for the people, and the agency books them in a way that it's either committed to a, in some places, a salary for a fixed amount so that they don't have to get paid overtime. They can't get paid overtime. If they call out, if they miss work, they are breaking their contract. They can fire them on the spot. They don't have to provide them any benefits, a third-party company. I mean, the government, government shouldn't have to do all that shit. See, you want to pay higher taxes for the government to force people to do something else, but you could have just paid for higher quality to begin with. You could vote with your dollars somewhere else where they treat the people very well, and it sets the standard for their industry so that other people have to compete at that higher standard. But if you go give your money to people who are not producing quality, then the other people around them will reduce their quality because the marketplace is looking at the cheapest bullshit out there. Oh, who knew? We can just fart in a can and put the lid on it and send it on out to them. Woo! Forget that high-quality canned air that they have. What was it? Mel Brooks' Spaceballs? He's sniffing the, the Perry air <laughs> out of the can because they need fresh air, high-quality air. Nah, man. Public's willing to let stuff taste like cardboard. It's made of 90% cornmeal, whatever. And you vote for that. And so they change their things. They change their business model. Then you have places and you go, well, Whole Foods, man, they cost too much money. Oh, right, because you've devalued the ingredients so greatly that when they have a full, pure ingredient like that, forget about it. How come potato chips cost less than produce? Because more people buy potato chips. Didn't you fools finish 6th, 7th, 8th grade economics, social studies? Supply and demand. If they buy more, it's cheaper to produce it. You want to lower the cost of produce? Number one, garden for yourself. It's cheap. It's somewhat free because it pays for itself out of the money you're not paying somebody else. Oh, you want to get cheaper produce? Buy more of it. Force the people in other industries to go into the produce industry and then compete at a different level. No, we don't want to do that, you know. Jesus Christ. What else we got on here? Coping mechanisms. So, for poor choices. Rehabilitation and medical science. This is under the umbrella of enabling. And this is speaking more towards that intervention-style person. They can make poor choices, but we enable them to continue to make poor choices with or without 
you know, col- uh, catastrophic, really. Not just collateral damage, but catastrophic damage to themselves. And you do irreparable harm to your body. And inside of that, you know, your your organs and, and everything that goes with that. If it's the way that your body processes things from thought to digestion, you name it, right? It develops ugly things like cancer and, and depending on what your uh, item of choice is. You know, the things that um, alcohol, drugs, controlled substances do to people, are they're out there, man. Out there. And rehabilitation, if you look at it like, oh, I just go to rehab and get cleaned up, and then they can go back and relapse, and then go back to rehab again. So that safety net I was talking about is like extending them a line of credit. Medical science enables people to, um, you know, you can be reckless for a living, and then just Go get your knee fixed up, your head fixed up. I mean, that's what my next point here is. Safety equipment and rules allow controlled chaos. I've preached at great length, and I, you know, Jerry Seinfeld has this beautiful piece. I'll find it and insert it right here. The helmet is my personal favorite. The fact that we had to invent the helmet. Now, why did we invent the helmet? Well, because we were participating in many activities that were cracking our heads. We looked at the situation. We chose not to avoid these activities, but to just make little plastic hats so that we can continue our head-cracking lifestyles. The only thing dumber than the helmet is the helmet law, the point of which is to protect a brain that is functioning so poorly, it's not even trying to stop the cracking of the head that it's in. Here he is talking about, you know, you want to... You continue your head-cracking lifestyle. You know, it's one of those things where I just, I cannot believe that there are people out there who don't see the errors of their ways. We love football. You're running your head into the wall, man, into somebody else who's moving at the same speed who's not. Don't get me wrong. All right, you don't misunderstand me to assume that people have all been to um, some sort of class like the highway patrol takes where they do uh, the modeling and they have to develop what happened in the course of a car crash so now they've been to school and they understand a head-on collision is far worse than somebody just hitting a tree because there's momentum coming the other way and that's physics and generally that's a higher learning above average sort of class for most people They don't get it. I'm going to get it. Okay. But it's dangerous. It's dangerous to run your head in other people. It's dangerous to head a soccer ball into the ball at large sometimes, but into somebody else's head. Those violent headbutts are the sorts of things that drive all kinds of problems. Not just mental health problems. Not just bruising your brain. And these are the things that dementia leads to people losing their mind, their possessions, their family. They become homicidal and kill people. They have all kinds of episodes. It's a very ugly risk. Why would you be taking your brain and tenderizing it like you're going to do to a piece of meat before you cook it? I mean, it's it's fun, man. Hadn't you ever just put a helmet on and gone skydiving? Woo! <laughs> The old scene, it's James Bond. It's, um, I don't know. 
I know it's Sean Connery. I want to tell you it's from Octopussy or something. These two screwballs are bad guys. And they have this uh, almost comedic sort of mischief to them. And they, I think they put a bomb into a guy's box or a pocket or something like that and get him on a helicopter and the helicopter goes to take off. And he says, Mr. So-and-so, I don't remember their names. Mr. So-and-so. And the other guy says, that's... If God wanted man to fly, he would have given him wings, Mr. <laughs> you know, it's very ugly. He blew his helicopter up. But that's that's what you're looking at. If God had wanted man to fly, he would have given him wings, Mr. Kid. You're playing the lottery every time you play football. It's it's targeting. I can't believe them people in college sports make it a penalty. They throw people out of the game. They're doing this to punish people because they hit helmet on helmet. Yeah. It's a very ugly occurrence. If you did that kind of damage to a guy in a bar with your fist, you would serve time or you would at least have a criminal record for it. This is all legal. And I've I've tried to bring this point up a million times. If two automobiles get into a an accident that's worth more than $1,000 in damage, that's the North Carolina state law, it is a reportable accident. You have to call the Highway Patrol accident report so forth. Now, how in the hell do they get away with crashing each other's cars on NASCAR and it doesn't apply? They're automobiles. Mm-hmm. Doing more than $1,000? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But that safety equipment thing is is it's very real. You know, you tell your kids, hey, here, here, just, just wear this. It'll make it all right. You'll be okay, Johnny. Yeah. People that go down in the ocean wear all this safety equipment. They have spear guns. They go down in cages. We're playing the lottery with nature. They are. Filler and substitute ingredients. Yes, we, we enable... You're enabling your, your body to do some very ugly things and, quite frankly, the economy to do some very ugly things. If you're willing to, uh, to accept ingredients with a recipe and the potential to do a lot of harm to you, you know... You see more recalls. You see all these ugly things. People, oh, that, you don't want that because that'll give you some ugly side effects. Cancer, poison, whatever it might be, right? They're doing studies on that. Yeah. We may have had these problems in the past, but people lived a higher quality of life. They didn't have all the depression and suicide and famine and pandemic and stuff that we have now. This modernized world with these ugly problems because people have outsmarted themselves. It's ugly. I remember when it used to taste so good. Yeah. That was before they swapped out half of the recipe with these cheaper, uglier, color-dyed ingredients so they can keep more money and they can keep giving it to you at a dollar a box because you are unwilling to pay a higher price. 
or because you won't take your dollar away from them and vote and make them produce a higher quality product that you will come back and buy. It is a game of chicken sometimes between the consumer and the the provider or the producer. You got to bluff them out. They need you. They need you. You don't have to have them, especially in this market. Um, and the last two things I have here are spreading nonsense and unqualified positioning. And a lot of that's tied to one and the same. You have people who are spreading, we've talked about this in previous episodes, they're spreading all kinds of information all over the place. And you are willing to live with this information to continue to play the, the whispering game where I, you know what I heard? What did you hear? Okay. And then you tell your neighbor and it's a variation of, and people think that it's clever, right? Oh, we might've got it wrong. <laughs> It'll be okay. They've gone so far off the beaten path that my metaphor earlier about going into the jungle and bringing back the disease, you've gone off the beaten path. You've gone too far into the unknown. You've brought back something that has nothing to do with where you naturally should be able to maneuver. And you've crossed it over into your everyday life. And you can take this as a metaphor for anything, for drugs, for pornography for religion for obsessive things about let's say it's just working out or whole foods or i gotta be gluten-free whatever it might be right these these toxic ideas that people can get into you can take and you can sprinkle that like cinnamon on top of a dish i love my oatmeal that's right i have my oatmeal with blueberries cinnamon and brown sugar oh it's so good Okay, there's your recipe. Sounds good, right? Love that cinnamon. What is that called when you take the whole spoon of cinnamon and go to eat it and it can't be done? And that's the cinnamon challenge, isn't that? That was a big thing. Cinnamon challenge. Oh, but that cinnamon's so good. Yeah. What happens if it's all cinnamon? Can you have too much cinnamon? Yeah. And people are like that. They think that, you know, skepticism is good and being a smartass is good and jokes and kids and adults that collect toys and live in fantasy land and dress up and go to cosplay. What are you doing, Dad? I'm playing Call of Duty 6. The Korean War. And that's what he's doing all night. My dad... He might sit down in front of the TV long enough to let it fall and let himself fall asleep or pet the cats or whatever. And he's, you know, he's out, he's cultivating the garden or he's doing something in the shop or he's he's helping himself, somebody, or he's eating and conversing. This idea that he lives in this play world of fantasy. We need more of that. Kids need to use their imagination. Well, that's wonderful. And adults can use their imagination and their hobbies and their entrepreneurial form as a restaurateur and being a chef and otherwise there's unhealthy ways to use your imagination i mean i think that the unabomber and a host of other people who've left crockpots and <coughs> crockpots and backpacks and flew planes and done all kinds of things they've got creative imaginations 
They do all kinds of clever things that then we have to have special people and special technologies and weaponry to undo. We have to develop wild versions of medical science to undo or try to treat and stabilize things that people who are creative think they can get away with. You know, you're cramping my style, man. If I want to drink two-fifths of vodka every day, woo! We all know that's unhealthy. Wildly unhealthy. And yet, as a species, we'll try to grab that person by the back of the shirt, throw them in a wagon, take them with us. Where are we going? We're going to the next town. Moving from town to town. People do that a lot now. They move more than once. It enables them to just sort of live in their own bubble, move, be in their own bubble. They know a few people. They get along for a while. They go somewhere else. It's just... It's a shame. People aren't able to grasp the kind of discipline that goes along with these ideas and what it means to you as a neighbor, as a community, to hold people to standards, to know when it's a healthy and regimented way to loan people some money, right? You got credit? From, okay, what's your income? Okay, so security number, we're going to run a credit report, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. What would be an unhealthy way of loaning? Oh, I don't know. Rodney Dangerfield talks about this. Says he borrowed some money from a loan shark 20 years ago. He's been paying him. <laughs> he borrowed $50 from a loan shark 10 years ago. Been paying him back $5 a month for the last 10 years. Still owes him $25. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some real ugly ways that people treat one another when they know you are in a jam. What will you do for me? How can I manipulate that need into something more perverse? And it's a shame because the reason that people are able to exploit people to the lengths that they are are because of all of the little things that I've talked about here. A lack of education, a lack of practical skills, a lack of medical, right? And so because you didn't enhance your mind, body, resume, so forth, you become dependent upon these other things and they enable you to survive one more day, whether it be here or there. And we've come up with a world that is so full of these people. They are the target audience and the demographic for major marketing campaigns. Chris Porter is on Amazon Prime. I cannot remember the name of his special. He's got two. It's Chris first Chris Porter special. I believe it's from 2007. He's got a line about... Uh, it used to be that you could just make products and you didn't have to worry. Like, you didn't put a disclaimer on the box, right? And you just knew this was not accepted. Here's your product. Here's what you do with it. Here's what you don't do with it. He said, stupid people are now everywhere. There's so many stupid people that they've become a marketing demographic. Which is not. It, 
It's a funny line in the context of his stand-up routine. It is a very sad thing to think about as a person who's in a community and you roll down the street and you look at the businesses, business, 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 and you think, who's working there? Why would you work there? And we treat them as such, don't we? You see the videos. People go into play. What are you doing? You don't talk to me like that. You only make $10 an hour. I'm going to get you fired. Why would you get a guy who's making $10 an hour fired if he doesn't have as much practical skill as you do to begin with? You're going to make his life even harder when you think you know it's hard to begin with. Hmm. Well, you're not enabling him. You're disabling him. But there is a vast difference between what's healthy and what's not healthy. And that's much of, of the... the thought process that I have because the people around me I have several changes that I want to make in the next year and that's why I was trying to present this podcast in particular a little different right articulating points a few sound clips a little intro a little exit it's important if I interject more skill and higher quality content it would make it harder for people to copycat and jump onto the podcast platform. I hope that you as a listener demand more out of your provider. Because if you don't, you would enable me to just sit here and talk about nothing, to have incoherent thoughts, to not challenge you. You wouldn't see anything deeper. Just make your life easy, right? You just want a dollar store podcast. I hope not. I hope that you value your time, and what you do is you qualify the things that you partake in, physically, intellectually, audibly, and what you do is you choose things from an informed perspective that enable you to feel that it is a very good use of your time, that it was a rewarding use of your time, that risk versus reward seesaw. And then hopefully it leaves you coming back for more. But the one thing you can do with your voice is always to speak up and speak out, to share the word you like, share, subscribe, rate the podcast that you're, that you're hearing right now, mine, and any other. Because those things let us make the decisions. The numbers that I see let me know what people want to hear. What they want more of, what they want less of. You can judge that by the numbers. But the actual direct communication between the listener and the speaker, that means more than anything. Because it provides an interactive experience. I don't want to have to go off of statistics. I've only got 72% of statistics I can, I can use, right? 28% of statistics are made up. Is it 27%? So it's something like that. Anyway, I uh, wanted to wish happy birthday, number eight, to Mr. Jonathan. I'll wrap this up for you guys. I've got uh, several other interesting things coming up with uh, a discussion about amnesty, another one about uh, habits and eating and things of that nature. But it's a metaphorical thing that I was developing about eating, what that does to your body. Oh, it's, this tastes so great. Yeah, but it costs the rest of your body, right? When one part of you, the family, you, the worker, you, 
the member of society decides they want to do what's good for them, but it risks the long-term side effects for everybody else. And the last thing is uh, along the same lines. It's uh, with procreation. So, hope you guys have a beautiful week. You'll hear a lot more from me. Five steps, you're over.